Hey there, welcome back to Amy TV. Are you not feeling like yourself? I get it. I have been in a situation where I was feeling so discouraged. As a matter of fact, not too long ago, I've been going through sort of these waves of, mm, something is not quite right. I don't feel like myself. I feel like I could be doing better. I could be doing better emotionally, mental, mentally, physically, everything you can think of, all the ways I could be better. But when you're in this state and you're just not going anywhere. You don't feel like it's getting better at all, ever, at any point in time. And it's just this constant state of discouragement. At some point, you have to decide you have to do something about it, which is why I think you clicked on this video. So today I want to talk about what I do in particular when I'm going through a little bit of a struggle, a little bit of a struggle to stop being discouraged, to get more motivated, to come out of a funk. These are the things that I do. And so maybe if you're going through that right now, this will be helpful for you. Before we get started, I just want to remind you to subscribe to this channel. I make new videos every Sunday and Wednesday, helping you go after the life that you want. And I'd love to see you here for the next one. Okay, let's just talk about it. Things suck right now. You're just like, why am I even doing this? Why am I even trying? Well, the first thing I want you to do is respect the moment. What goes up must always come down and what is currently down only has one place to go. So you have to sit in this and go, hmm, you know, this is just not my best moment. This is not my very best life. I'm trying very hard to make every day better, every month better, every year better, everything better, but there are going to be waves and there are gonna be moments when you're in that valley. By respecting this moment, by saying, you know what, it has to happen sometimes, you are respecting the process. The process that is life, that is not always fabulous all the time, doesn't matter what Instagram's trying to tell you. The moment you can respect what's happening right now, the more you're gonna be grateful and respect what's happening later when you're on the up and up again. Next, you're gonna hate me, but I gotta tell you, this is gonna work. I'm telling you it's going to work. You've gotta move your butt. It's hard, it sucks. It might mean you actually have to go to your PT sesh and suffer through it, but when you're done, you know it sucks how much you love that you did it. And you feel the increase in happiness, you feel the increase in energy, and your state has changed. Tony Robbins talks about this all the time, right? change your state. If you want to change something, you need to change your state and movement and getting your body going is by far and away the first and most important thing you should do in that respect. Good morning. All right. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Mark. And also, uh, if you uh, enjoyed that video, that was also from Pastor Mark. He subscribes to that channel. So. <clears throat> so before I begin, though, I just um, want to let you know I do have a kind of a voice issue, so bear with me if I cough or things get kind of real. But anyway, so just a few months ago, we celebrated the new year, and many of us came up with New Year's resolutions. Lose weight, get out of debt, be nicer to your husband, and that was the one I suggested to Susan. And even if we started, she's not here, so I can say that. <laughs> and even if we started the year off with a good, good intentions and an honest effort, it's not long until we find ourselves in March and starting to face resistance and discouragement. So how do we overcome discouragement? Do we follow 
the wisdom of this world? Do we respect the moment? Go to your PT sesh and move your body around. This morning, we're going to be looking at what God says about overcoming discouragement. And to do so, we're going to look at the book of Haggai. Now, last week, Pastor Mark shared about how God had instructed the people of Judah to rebuild their temple. And the people obeyed. But less than a month after starting to do the work, the people became discouraged. And I think we can relate to this. It's common for us to face discouragement soon after we've started to do something, especially something significant and worthwhile. But before we look at how to overcome discouragement, we need to first understand two common causes of discouragement. And so the first cause is comparisons. Comparing comes naturally to us because we're born with it, and then society reinforces it. And the euphemism for comparisons is having a competitive spirit. And this drives us as a society. And so we try to keep up with the Joneses. Or here in Hawaii, we try to keep up with the Morimotos. <laughs> and comparison actually boils down to pride. And so if we see something that makes us feel better than someone else, we feel artificially good. But if we see something that makes us feel worse than someone else, we feel artificially bad. And this is called the comparison trap. And it's a lose-lose proposition. And with social media, we don't even need to leave our homes to compare. We're able to do so in the comfort of our own home. And we can compare ourselves to our friends and acquaintances in just a few seconds. And some of us will even check our feed every hour just to see how we compare to our so-called friends. But it matters more if God likes us rather than our hundreds of virtual so-called friends. The truth is that we should have an audience of one. So who is your audience? At the end of our lives, God is not going to grade us off of a bell curve and see how we compare to everyone else. Rather, God will look at what we did with our life. But looking at others and comparing is very common. And this is exactly what the people of Judah did in the book of Haggai. In the second year of King Darius, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left 
who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? And so we see the people of Judah looked at their half-built temple, and it paled in comparison to the splendor of the temple earlier constructed by King Solomon. And we do this in our lives as well. Things used to be good, but not anymore. It seems like it's all an uphill battle. Or maybe it's just all downhill from here. Or maybe we're just over the hill. And to quote a line from Indiana Jones, it seems like we've reached an age where life stops giving us things and starts taking them away. We become discouraged when we don't have hope. We become hopeless. And it seems like there's nothing good for us to look forward to, that we have no future. And now that I've started to kind of discourage you a little bit, we can now move on to the second common cause of discouragement. The second factor that we saw in this passage in Haggai is that the people of Judah were discouraged because even though they were working hard, they had very little to show for it. And the second cause of discouragement is a lack of progress. And we all like to see that our effort is leading to results. And I think this is why I enjoy using Dyson vacuums. <laughs> because you're able to immediately see how much you're cleaning. And it makes you want to clean even more. And this is a textbook example of a positive feedback loop. I remember the first time that our family got our Dyson handheld, the whole family was fighting to use it. <laughs> and it was fascinating and even fun to see how much dirt we were picking up. And I think this is how we are naturally wired. We focus on what we can see and what we can measure. And this is why it's important what we measure, because it will naturally affect what we focus on. Professor Clayton Christensen of the Harvard Business School has written one of my favorite books, How Will You Measure Your Life? Christensen points out that we are naturally drawn to things that provide an immediate return on investment. So for example, a job or career is something that will provide a relatively quick ROI whether through a promotion, a bonus, or a raise. But there are many more important things that require a long-term investment, and you won't see a return on for many decades, such as raising good children. And so many times, we're drawn to things that we can easily measure and see progress, and so many folks unconsciously prioritize their job and career over their spouse and children. Investing time and energy in your relationships, like with your family, do not offer the same immediate sense of achievement that a fast-track career does. 
Indeed, you can neglect your relationship with your family, and on a day-to-day -day basis, things may look okay. It's sort of like if you want to have a large, beautiful monkey pod tree. And so after the seed is planted, it will take many years before it turns into a towering, majestic tree. And from day to day and month to month, you really won't see much change as it grows. And this is true for the things in life that really matter. Let me give you another analogy. It's like if you want to build a house. Before you can put up the windows, the walls, and the roof, you need to first set the foundation. And while you're working on the foundation, it seems like not much is getting done. But before you can elevate, you need to excavate. And for us, it may seem that we're trying to improve, but we're not seeing any improvements. Maybe we're trying to work on a relationship, but nothing seems to be changing. Or maybe we're trying to get out of debt, but we're barely making a dent. And so now that we've discussed two common causes of discouragement, what is the solution? What is God showing us in the book of Haggai? Chapter 2 says, But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. So the first step is to be strong. And I know we hear this a lot. Lance Armstrong had lived strong. After the Boston Marathon bombing, we heard about Boston Strong. And it's easy to gloss over this. We think we already know what this means. It's so familiar that we just write it off as a cliche. It's kind of like that really popular Bible verse. God helps those who help themselves. Except that's actually not even in the Bible. And so when we hear be strong, we automatically think that this is about self-reliance, self-help, and grit. Be strong in yourself. Be strong and believe in yourself. But God is actually saying the exact opposite. Don't be strong in yourself. Don't believe in yourself. Rather, be strong in God and put your belief in Him. The world says to be successful, we need to lean in. But God says, lean on. Lean on Him. And yes, we will need to persevere 
but we do so by tapping into God's strength, not our own. This may seem counterintuitive, and some of you may be skeptical and thinking, are you sure this really works? So let's take a look at the example of the Apostle Peter. Initially, Peter tried to do things on his own strength. And before Jesus was crucified, Peter, who is also known as Simon Peter, boastfully proclaimed that he would lay down his life for Jesus. In Luke 22, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But Peter replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And sure enough, before the rooster crowed, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Relying on his own strength, Peter failed. But after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, Peter realized that he needed to do things not through his own strength, but through God's strength, through the Holy Spirit. And that is when Peter was finally able to accomplish miracles and to speak boldly about Jesus, even in the face of threats and imprisonment. Now, you might be thinking, well, that principle may apply to spiritual things, like casting out demons or praying for healing. But for non-spiritual matters, you've got to rely on yourself, right? But let's take another look at Peter's life. After Jesus' resurrection, we see Jesus talk to Peter who is a fisherman by trade. In John 21, Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, We'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And this passage shows us the barrenness and futility of self-effort. When we try to be strong in ourselves, we will struggle. But when we are strong in God, He will provide. 
We need to decide whether we will continue to try to be strong in ourselves or whether we will let go and let God. We cannot have it both ways. They are mutually exclusive. And we need to get to the end of our rope where we realize that we cannot be strong in ourselves because that's when we will finally be able to realize that we need to be strong in God. The second step that God tells the people of Judah is to do the work. And for the people of Judah, this meant stone after stone. And it's like running a marathon step after step. And as we live our lives, we do the work day after day. I recently read Chris Hogan's Everyday Millionaire's book, in which he studied over 10,000 millionaires to discover the secret of how these high net worth individuals attained their financial status. And something that Hogan wrote caught my attention. He observed that it seemed like every other millionaire grew up on a farm and that this was no accident. Farming requires a person to put in work day in and day out over a long period. Literally, a farmer reaps what he sows. And Hogan points out that this basic farming principle also applies to finances. Most millionaires gain their wealth by saving and investing small amounts day in and day out. And this principle applies to life generally, whether our relationships, our health, or our spiritual life. And Chris Hogan also discusses the power that these millionaires are harnessing. It's the power of compound interest. And Albert Einstein is thought to have said that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it, earns it. He who doesn't, pays it. Compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe. And so what makes it so powerful? Time. Investing consistently over a long period of time allows the money to grow exponentially through the snowball effect. Small actions carried out consistently over time can lead to big results. So, am I trying to encourage all of you to become millionaires? Although I do want you all to be rich in this life and to enjoy the good life, I'm talking about a completely different kind of (coughs) net worth. It's not about dollars in your banking accounts. It's about storing up treasures in heaven. And let me point out that this is very different from and much more powerful 
than the wisdom of this world. The world will tell you to persevere, to power through, and to have grit. But this is so much more than just an Aesop's fable of how slow and steady wins the race. <coughs> Rather, we do our part and God does his. Pastor Mark has shared about how when we intersect our faith with God's faithfulness, that is when something amazing occurs. And Romans 5 says, We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And on a spiritual level, we persevere because we have something powerful at work within our lives. And with all due respect to Einstein, compound interest is not the most powerful force in the universe. I'm talking about something much more powerful. As followers of Jesus, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. We are God strong. And as Christ's followers, we need to harness this power that's been given to us day in and day out. Pastor Greg Rochelle has said that successful people do consistently what ordinary people do occasionally. Now, a couple of months ago, I had my own experience of rebuilding the temple, sort of. My daughter has graduated from Duplo to Lego, and so I was helping her to put together a police headquarters set. Now, when you first open the box, there's a large number of bags bursting with hundreds of seemingly random pieces. And it's a little, little overwhelming and intimidating. As some of you may know, putting together Lego requires a lot of time. And you need to take it step by step. You also need each piece, and it takes a while before you start seeing it take shape. And God showed me that that is exactly how our life is. Day by day, we are building our life. And we cannot skip steps or forego pieces if we want to see the Creator's master plan. And this is true for both Lego and our life. And so we need to do the work day in and day out if we want to see the divine design that God has in store for each of us. Now, when God says to do the work, what work are we really talking about? Some of us will immediately think about our jobs, which pay our bills, 
And God is talking about our jobs. But he's talking about so much more. Some of you are familiar with Colossians 3, 23, which says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And so God is really referring to whatever you do. So this means everything that we do. And this makes sense because true faith will lead to action. And so everything that we do should be a natural manifestation of what we believe. As we say here at KCF, our work is our worship. And there's something else to keep in mind. Are we doing the right work? This message is not simply about doing whatever you're doing harder and with more intensity. But it's really about making sure that we're doing the right work. What God is calling us to do. As Pastor Stephen Furtick has said, it's not about if you're playing the game right. It's about whether you're playing the right game. And similarly, this is the difference between being efficient and being effective. We need to make sure that we're not just being efficient in what we do. We need to make sure we're doing the right thing. Not what feels right, but again, what God is calling us to do. And so we want to live our lives effectively, not efficiently. And so are we doing the right work in our life? For example, should we be focusing our time and energy in improving our golf game or improving our marriage? And this is also related to the lack of progress discouragement that we talked about earlier. For things of value, you will oftentimes not be able to see progress. But what matters is what we do each and every day. And so when you think about your actions, imagine if you did that action each day for the rest of the year. What would the results be? And what if you did these actions every day for the rest of your life? What would the legacy be? And this applies to everything, whether our health, our finances, or our relationships. And that definitely includes our relationship with God. And so what does doing the work look like for you? Is it keep working on your marriage, even when it seems like nothing is changing? Or is it Keep working to pay off your debt even when it seems like you're not making a dent. Maybe it's keep working on breaking that addiction even when nothing seems to be changing. Or it could be keep working on your daily devotionals with God even when it seems like God is silent. 
See, we're not all going through the same thing, but we're all going through some thing. So what motivates us to keep doing the work? What drives us? It really goes to the question of why do we do what we do? What is our purpose in life on this earth? And we need to make sure that we keep the final destination in mind, that we focus on the ultimate, not the immediate. God has given each of us a mission for our limited time here on earth. And as we are strong and we do the work, we need to continually keep the end in mind. What motivates us is that we have our eyes on the prize. And as Christ's followers, our end goal changes everything. So how do we know if we're really doing the work? We should look at how we spend our time, our energy, and our resources. Resource allocation is where the proverbial rubber meets the road. And not to pick on golf again, but if we say that our family is a top priority, but we spend more time hitting the links than spending time with our family, then our actions are proving what is really more important. And in addition to doing the work, the Bible also talks about running the race. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so, just as life is a marathon, so is marriage. And I was reminded how, believe it or not, Susan and I sometimes get into a disagreement, and when we do, it seems like I'm always the one to initiate the apology. And of course, Susan said, it's because I'm always the one who's wrong. (laughs) But there have been times when I finally say in my anger and frustration, no, I am not going to be the one to initiate the apology. And inevitably, God will start to work on me and to soften my heart so that I'm able to apologize for the millionth time. And I do this not by relying on my own strength, but by relying on God's strength. And for me, 
that is doing the work in my marriage. And as the Apostle Paul neared the end of his time on earth, he encouraged the followers of Jesus by saying, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry, for I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. In other words, Paul is saying, be strong, do the work. And this is the encouragement that God gives today to those of us who are discouraged. Because if we are strong in God and we do his work, we will be able to hear God say to us at the end of our time on earth the words that we long to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So what will we do this day to be strong and do the work? Let's close in prayer. Dear God, we thank you for who you are and how much you love us. And we come to you and lift up our discouragement and disappointments to you. We acknowledge that we cannot do it on your own, on our own. May we be strong in you, not ourselves. And may we do your work in our lives. Strengthen us so that we may follow you each day. Fill us up with your powerful Holy Spirit that our lives would magnify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.